we've been going through the book of Joshua as a church, and we're on Joshua 3. And so I'm just going to read Joshua 3 through. Troy's going to try and keep up on the, uh, on the screen, although I do talk very quickly. But if you follow along, I'm reading the ESV version. So if you've got a different version, it might read slightly different, but the heart of it's the same. It says this, verse 1 in Joshua 3, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. Um, And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about 900 metres, roughly. If you want to know, if you look in your concordance, it will tell you. So about a kilometre. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail Drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gigashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Gosh, I had to practice that at home. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of different nations. So, so yeah. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of... I, it's easy to skip over this. Just check out these words, verse 11. I'm not preaching yet, but... Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. The Ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. That's quite a, there's a lot in there. We're not going to really touch on that this morning. But where the presence of the Lord, the covenant with Israel, his people, of which we are part of the family line, his presence, the Lord of all the earth, journeying with his people. There's a lot in that sentence. We could spend a whole week just unpacking that, but we're not going to. But I just wanted to like, this is what it's talking about. The ark is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. So they're taking one man from each tribe. Verse 13, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And so what that's saying is imagine a river from here flowing that way, basically at one end it's going to just like get cut off like a dam, like a supernatural dam, and the water's going to just dry up and then carry on at that end, and there'll be dry land. So it's just going to... So a supernatural miracle like in Exodus that happened with Moses crossing the Red Sea. This is like a, almost like a, a carbon copy in some ways of that miracle. Verse 14, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, 
and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. So basically the priests have got their toes in the water of the Jordan. This is what's happened. It's got this helpful little thing in my one. I'm not sure if it's in every version. But in brackets it says, Now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. So what that's basically saying is the river is the deepest it's going to be at any time of the year. Um, the Lord has kind of chosen a strange time for them to cross the river because in the natural you'd be saying this isn't the best time of year to cross because it's at its deepest. Like, come on, we'll wait six months and we'll cross then. But the Lord's saying, no, I want to show you what I'm going to do. The waters coming down from the above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the priests have literally dipped their toes into the Jordan. They're carrying the ark. The people are a kilometre behind, watching it. And what has happened, as soon as their toes have gone in, all of a sudden the water just piles up, off in the distance, up by the city of uh, the, the town of Adam, up the road. And then further down, it's kind of, there's this dry highway that has been created in the middle. Where are we? Verse 17, the last verse. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. So one minute they put their feet in the river, and now it doesn't give us an amount of time, but they haven't moved, but they're now standing on dry ground. So there is something miraculous that's gone on. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So I'm just going to pray quickly, King Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. There's a lot here, and there's so much we're not even going to touch on. But Lord, I thank you for what you've laid on my heart, as simple as it is. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me this morning, give me a confidence in the truth of of who you are and what you've spoken uh, and what you want to communicate this morning. Lord, we believe that you're speaking not only to us as a church, but to each one individually about the days and times we're living in. Lord, give us wisdom that we might be like... uh, be those who are able to discern the signs and times that we live in and act and respond appropriately. Uh, we're not here to have our ears tickled, but we want to have our hearts changed. So, Lord, we look to you for all that you want to do. For your glory, we pray. And they all said? Amen. 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 Okay, so, do you want to just put the slide up for me, Troy? I'm not going to speak for a very long time. There's lots of things, I think, on your tables. If you arrived early, I asked you to look at Joshua 3. And there's lots of things you might have touched on. The, the fact that this is very similar to what happened with Moses. like there's, there's so much similarity to what happened with Moses. Even the Lord saying, as I was with Moses, I'm going to show the people that I'm with you. I'm going to, something's coming up that's going to elevate you so people think of you like, oh, this guy's got the mantle of Moses. But the Lord is with Joshua like he was with Moses. And that, so in some ways, not only is the Lord delivering his people into, the, into a new territory, but he's also setting apart Joshua for the next phase, for the next season. We, we saw in Joshua 1 a few weeks ago where there was the cry like Moses is dead. It's like the end of an era. The Moses era is over. Now Joshua is sort of almost coming into an ascendancy where the Lord is sort of saying, I want you to lead my people. And so this is going on for the nation. And they've sort of been wandering around in the wilderness for quite a while. Sorry, I need to get my breath back. <laughs> They've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and uh, they're now at the point of crossing over, taking possession of the land. And we see this long list of, um, where was it, verse 10 or 11, uh, which I, I read through. I won't read them again, but there's six or seven nations there, six or seven 
what, what were tribes born out of Canaan? So you think of Cain and Abel, um, and then Abel was sort of God's line, and, and Cain uh, was basically the line of the devil. If you sort of go back, he sort of fell into sin. And then the tribes that have been born out of these people that have populated other areas. The Lord is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to take you in and amongst those people. And actually, you set apart 12 people representing each of the different tribes. And those themselves are actually going to go and become kind of their own people. Each of those men, almost a bit like kind of Adam or Jesus, representing a whole new nation beyond it. So you've got like the Benjamites and the Levites. All these different nations are going to, the individuals are going to grow into nations. Each man representing a tribe that itself will go and lay possession of this new territory that they're going into. Kind of made me think of our households a little bit as a church, where we've sort of said we would love to see households dotted across Sittingbourne, where there are people. Imagine like those one person. Gather me, you can almost imagine in a similar way, gather me someone from Tunstall or someone from Tenham or someone from Batchard or someone from Kemsley or wherever it might be, wherever you're from. It might be further afield, it could be in the wheel, it could be anywhere. But the Lord's saying, I want people that are going to go and lay hold of the land, that are going to go and enter in and actually fill it with my glory. And the way they're going to do that is by, if we look a little bit earlier, is actually by consecrating themselves, setting themselves apart. They're going to be, have a heart for this land. They're going to bring it and subdue it. Like in Genesis, where God gave a mandate to Adam and to Eve, the reason you and I exist is to fill... Natalie, I might need your mic. Is to fill the earth with the Lord's glory that we would take dominion over the earth in a right sense, steward it, and fill the earth with the Lord's glory. Thanks, love. And so I think for us as a church, that's kind of what the Lord is encouraging us to do, or even as disciples, where we're at, is he wants you to be thinking about the place that he's planted you, or the place he's leading you. How do you bring that kind of mandate to where you are? Through your workplace, through your family, through your friendships, through your neighbourhood, whatever it is, all, your different, all these different connections, your relational network. How do we bring something of the kingdom of heaven where we're at? Where we've been rooted? Each of you are rooted in very unique places that I'm not rooted in, my wife's not rooted in, the people on the table probably aren't rooted in. The Lord has given you a specific call he has ordained the times and the places that we would live and that we would enter into. And here the Lord is saying, this season is coming to an end. The wilderness season is coming to an end. You're now going to enter into the very thing that I, I'd always intended for you to do. And that's to, to almost like take possession, to lay hold, to bring godly order. Uh, me and Troy, as we were reading through this, I don't know about on your tables, but when you uh, talk about overcoming... All of these different nations driving out. They're going to fall down. It sounds quite brutal, doesn't it? The Israelite, like for us in like, you know, we're, have you ever heard the term snowflake? That's thrown around a lot, isn't it? Like people are talked about as being snowflakes. It's a bit of a derogatory term. But anything to do with violence is stripped out, isn't it? Anything to do with fighting stripped out. Here what we see is actually the Israelites are going to go in and there's basically going to be some fighting going on. There's going to be some war. There's going to be some overcoming what we mustn't lose sight of is these are not innocent nations. These are not nations that are a good, good, great people. These are nations that are far from God. Child sacrifices, all sorts of stuff going on. And so they are the epitome of godlessness. It's like an image of sin. And so as the Israelites are called to go in, it's a ma- imagine like a spiritual war. You've got the, 
the, the kingdom of heaven, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the evil one. And what we're seeing here is like the kingdom of heaven advancing and subduing the kingdom of darkness. So this isn't like, right, okay guys, let's pick up our, our swords, go into Sittingbourne, we're going to subdue the land, and, you know, gosh, it would be horrific, wouldn't it? We were talking about football fans kind of going into a, a rival team's thing and having a fight in the train station, like overcoming. Is this what it's talking about, that sort of fighting and subduing? Of course not. It's not talking about, this is like a spiritual reality for us, that there's a sense of bringing the kingdom of God in quite a direct and intentional and strategic way to bring God's order in the places where it's not. These places were far, far from God. There are places across Sittingbourne that are far, far from God. Think of the darkest place that you can think of. It might be, it might be a, an estate, it might be a tower block, it might be a neighbour's house, it might even be the heart of someone that you know or you love. Think of the darkest, godless places that you can. The Lord wants the kingdom of heaven to advance and to overcome in that place. Not in a way that he leaves devastation, but in a way that actually brings renewal. The devastation is what already exists. So what we're not talking about is the Lord coming in and bringing devastation. We're talking about the Lord coming in and bringing revival and renewal and bringing everything back into its right order. The reason these places are so far from God is because the order of the Lord has been stripped away from it. They've fallen into an order that is not in line with kingdom living. Generation after generation, tribe after tribe. And so what the Lord is doing, it's like he's bringing that creation mandate that was brought to Adam and to Eve in Genesis 1 of going in and taking the glory of the Lord to bring dominion. Not in a way, when we think of dominion, we think of hierarchy, we think of like almost draconian kind of overcoming and a sense of like overbearing. What we're seeing here is actually a sense of coming in and bringing life. Think of gardening, going in and doing the weeding, going in and doing the seeding, going in and doing the tending and bringing life. I knew I'd do this. I'd get really excited about something that wasn't in my notes and just go off on one and then... Um, so, th- there's a, there are two really odd little verses here, right at the beginning, that I just want to spend all our time on. I'm going to gloss over a lot of other stuff. There's loads of brilliant commentaries that we, I can share with you if you want to know like, all the riches of the significance of the waters being stacked up and the miracle of it, which is great. But I, there are two things that I really feel resonate with where we're at right now as a church. We felt this as a leadership team. We were like, let's carry on in Joshua. We're not just going to talk about being strong and courageous and taking the land. But there's actually a bit of a thread through here which actually mirrors in some way the journey both we're on as a church but also I think in the lives of a few people in the room. And so if we go to verse 2, it says that the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. It doesn't seem like much of a point. The officers went through the camp and commanded the people. If we go to Joshua 1, verse 10, a little bit earlier, you'd be forgiven for forgetting this bit. Um, But it says that Joshua commanded the officers of the people. So there's this sense that there is delegated authority amongst the nation of Israel. I'll say that again, long words. There is delegated authority amongst the nation of Israel. Joshua is leading and he is the figurehead, but there is delegated authority that he's given to others amongst the tribe that they too will lead. It's not all caught up in one person. Similarly, in the New Testament church, it's really bad when one person's doing all the leading. It's not, it's not godly, it's not biblical, it's not God's best. Sometimes you have to do that. So for us, one of the parallels in this is as a church plant, often one or two people initially 
carry all of the leadership weight and then you're looking to try and see who the Lord is raising up. Um, I'll paraphrase, but in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he would go through an area, say he went into the Mediterranean or somewhere, he would plant the gospel and then he'd, he'd do a little bit of discipleship and he'd be off. He wouldn't wait five, ten years to raise up, raise up an eldership team or deacons. He'd be off planting the gospel here, there and everywhere. And if he was able, a couple of years later, he would swing back on another missionary journey, expecting, expecting that the Holy Spirit present amongst that new group of believers would have raised up godly leaders, New Testament leaders. There might be a few things out of alignment that needed speaking into. That's why we get all the New Testament letters that seem like the church is in such a mess, like Corinthians and Colossians, Ephesians, because Paul's having to put some things straight, and he can't necessarily go. But he's trusting there are good, godly men and women, not just men, men and women, who are going to help put order into the church. They're going to help bring things into a New Testament plumb line. It's really, really helpful. So for us as a church, one of the things like... If I can, I just want to go back a little bit further. It'll be helpful just to see what the problem is. In Exodus, bear with me. Yes, so Exodus 18.20. There was a problem. Moses is the, the leader of the nation of Israel at this point, And he's trying to do it all on his own. He's got people coming to him with all sorts of problems... And his, uh, I think it's his father-in-law, Jethro, comes up to him. And, and ba- I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's Exodus 18.20. But for the sake of time, Jethro says, why don't you find... I've got a great idea. And it, it doesn't, it's not the angel telling it to him, it's his father-in-law. But he says, I've got a great idea. Why don't you call other faithful men, and I would say women as well in the day and age we're living in, who themselves can, can govern 15, 20, 50, 100 people... Give them delegated authority to make decisions so you're not having to worry about what sort of tea bags the church uses in the morning. Other people can do that. You're not having to worry about who's picking up Aunt Mabel and getting them somewhere. Someone else can do that. But when there's stuff like, whose baby is this, like happens, you, you should be involved in that. When there's maybe like a situation like a deep sin issue in the church, someone's going through something really difficult like bereavement or divorce, you might have a little bit of a voice into that and then maybe see if someone else can help. But there are certain things that you don't have to be the bottleneck to. Moses had got himself in a real pickle in the, na- the nation had grown so much that he was in a r- it was all going through him and he was overwhelmed. He was burning out. He was frazzling. There was lo- loads of godly people around him that he could entrust stuff to. He was just so overwhelmed that he couldn't see it. Where we're at as a church is kind of this season... We're for us to become all that we're going to become, for us to step into everything the Lord is saying about Sittingbourne, and not just Sittingbourne, but Kent and the nations. The Lord wants to do an apostolic work, something really wide-reaching. Every local church should have an international vision. So a local and an international mission. There's this real sense of entrusting responsibility to other people. Who are, like we see it in Acts 6. Um, the Hellenistic widows are being overlooked in the food distribution. The Apostle Paul says, it's not right for us to step down from preaching and the word to wait tables. Not that waiting tables is unimportant, but they're on a mission. They're not just there for themselves. If they were there for themselves, then the Apostle Paul would have got his penny on and would have started serving cups of tea and coffee. But actually, because they were on a mission, he was like, let's find from amongst yourselves men and women full of the Spirit who we can give responsibility to, because we know they're faithful, they're godly, and they're going to steward it rightly. 
Where we're at as a church is one of the things we've really witnessed as, kind of as a, as a family. I think it's fair to say my wife and I, we planted the church. We were the first couple to come. There's other great and amazing godly men and women that have come alongside us. But it's all on us. Particularly going into COVID, everything went very central. It was us in our front room live streaming every day. Well, not every day, but every weekend. Now where we're at is like this thing of the Lord is calling us to take possession of the land. And you know this thing of like, I, I found it really interesting and I've just sort of thought of it. Of the, but the thing of taking 12 people representative of the, of the whole nation. There's this thing of like, you're entrusting and recognising this isn't just about Joshua. It's not just about the officers who went on with delegated responsibility. But there is a whole overflow of people being set apart and, and representing the whole and leading with godly authority. And so where we're at as a church, we're just at the point where we're beginning to have some very intentional thoughts and conversations with other, le- other people in the church about making moves towards becoming deacons and hopefully elders. And it, we're at the very earliest stages of that. Actually, the ones that I'd love you to see aren't in the room, the majority of them, so we'll save that for another Sunday. We don't want to just get one or two up. But there's a, there's a group of about ten of us at the moment that are sort of journeying towards some of that stuff. For some, they might... It might not be the right thing. It's not something people... You know, like if you get a promotion at work and you, you become a manager, but you've never managed before. Well, you don't know if you're going to be any good at being a manager until you're appointed a manager. And then you realise, oh gosh, I've just been promoted one step beyond what I'm gifted for. Um, I've seen that happen quite a lot in friends' lives where they, they step into something, usually for financial gain, and the, the grace isn't necessarily on them for the role they're now fulfilling. And then they take a decision maybe to step into the role that they were doing before because that's the grace gift that they've got. In a similar way in the church, when you're appointing deacons and elders, deacons are for work of service, elders are really for uh, kind of leading in, uh, shepherds in the word and prayer. You're looking for people that are already doing it. You're not asking people to do a load of stuff they've never done before. There might be a few things that people are growing into. Um, and so, along with Adam Volk and Dave King, who you guys will know, who are kind of oversight for our church, we're beginning to explore this thing of like setting apart other people, moving a bit more intentionally, kind of with delegated authority beyond one or two. Um, it's not right to have one person leading or one person kind of leading the charge. Uh, I obviously have a lot of my time released to do that, and it's a wonderful privilege. But much like Moses had become for Israel in Exodus, you can very quickly either get overwhelmed or you become the bottleneck to the place that God's trying to take the the people into. And so our heart completely as a church and as a team, and particularly my own, I hope you will hear this, is that we want to see each and every single one of you flourishing in everything that God has got for you. Uh, It doesn't mean necessarily it's going to happen overnight. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we're all going to be preaching or we're all going to be worshipping. Whatever it is, we need to think beyond the Sunday. God has uniquely graced and gifted each and every one of you. Each and every one of us are called um, to go into where we're going and we've all got different responsibilities to play in that. A bit like the setting apart the 12 different tribes, each one had a different responsibility. You know, you had the artists and the ones that craft, you had the Levites, you the ones that ministered before God. In a similar way, amongst the church, we've got apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherds, teachers, gifts of help and mercy, all sorts of different gifts caught up in this body, some of them latent, some of them just unused, uh, and some of them evident, but you don't feel them the ability to use them because we're just not set up there yet. That's where we're going. Does that sound okay? Great. 
And then the next one that I wanted to just come down a little, a little bit further, verse 4, um, after it says the 2,000 cubits, so the, the Ark of the Covenant is travelling about a kilometre in front of the people. It says this, and I, I skirted over this uh, last night, and I was like, I feel like this is the main, main point, so I'll try and make something of it. It says, do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. It's a really strange little verse. So do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And so I think, can I reverse engineer that sentence a little bit? So let's read it backwards. Not literally read it backwards, I was just going to do that. There's this thing where we can be going through life, I'm not literally going to read it, I'll paraphrase it, assuming and going through routine, we're just going through the same thing again and again and again. And, and we may be going like on autopilot, like Groundhog Day, you know, it's just the same thing, day after day after day. This is saying, the Lord is saying to, to the people here, and I believe actually to us as a church, don't keep assuming that you, I'm going to do the same thing again and again and again. Or that you're just to do the same thing again and again and again. I was thinking of a horse wearing blinkers. And just thinking, oh, it's just the same thing again and again and again. The Lord is saying, don't come near the ark. Stand back a little bit. Watch what's going on. Like for those guys, I don't know if you've ever tried to look a kilometre. I was thinking, how far is like 900 metres? That's two times around a running track. I used to do a little bit of running. Oh, it doesn't look like it, but I used to. And um, 900 metres is quite a long way. Um, and so if the Ark of the Covenant is 900 metres away from the Israelites, they're having to really like watch and see. I know there wouldn't have been like cities and buildings and things, but they're having to look through at what God's doing. And the Lord is saying... Slow down, don't come near it in order that you might know the way it's going to go. There's almost this sense that because they'd been wandering around, really without any, any relay, like the ark had been going around, but they'd just been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. In some ways, they were probably used to just wandering around in circles day after day after day, not really expecting much to happen. I'm 43 years old. I'm trying to get fit by 44. That's my aim, fit by 44. Um, <laughs> I've been saying that for about four years really since lockdown let myself grow but it's, I think it's a lifetime they've been wandering around a lifetime that's, that's my life, 43 years they've been wandering around a lifetime aimlessly initially probably expecting the Lord to do something I should imagine probably after a few months if not a few years that sense of expectation may be waned somewhat amongst the, the nation 40-odd years wandering around, waiting for the promise of the Lord to be delivered. I've seen in the lives of, of dear friends where they're waiting for children. That was our story. We really struggled having children, so we adopted. Um, waiting for the promises of God to be delivered. Friends who've gone and just got a non-Christian husband just because they just want a partner in life because they're waiting and waiting and waiting. What feels like a lifetime for the Lord to lead them almost into that promised land, whatever that thing is. For some people, it's things to do with like relationships being restored. You know, like it feels like, how long, Lord? It's been a lifetime. For that person to come to Jesus, it feels like we're just wandering around again and again and again. 
And initially you might have faith, but then after a while the faith levels wane and you just sort of feel like you're just going through the same routine, like a lifetime, again and again and again. And I feel like the Lord is saying, I want you to slow down and I want you to see where I'm going because this isn't going to be like it was before. I think the word for us as a church, the thing I've most been aware of, particularly we did a welcome lunch the other day, it was beautiful to get to know some of you in the room, um, just hear some of your stories. The majority of us haven't just come to faith, we've all come from different churches. Do not assume that what the Lord is going to do amongst us is going to be the same as what he did where you come from. Do not assume that we're going to become Cornerstone City Church, or Net Church, or Holy Trinity, Trinity Sittingbourne, or Sittingbourne Baptist Church, or wherever you've come from. The Lord is saying, I want you all to watch and see. Not that there's any, like, hear, hear this, I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying, that could sound really derogatory. Like, we, we love our brothers and sisters. There's nothing wrong with where we've come from. For some of us, sometimes leaving is hard, and there can be a little bit of heartache. But we're not, we're not sort of, you know, oh, we're going to be the best things, in, you know, best church in the world. Yeah, off we go. Not that, not that. What I'm saying is the Lord has got a unique redemptive purpose for us as his people in where he's planted us. And that's here in Sittingbourne. I know some of you are from further afield. I do feel that there's something in that. And the Lord is asking us to stretch out the pegs and widen the tent and think further than our postcode. We're not a, we're not a parish church in that regard. But the Lord wants to do something new. And if we don't take a moment to try and see and discern what he's doing in the world, we're going to miss it. The ark's going to be going that way, and we're going to assume it's just going, we're just going where we've always gone. And we're going to go in a completely wrong direction. And this is about all of us together. There was a sense of the priests went first, and then those who'd been set apart to lead were kind of keeping their eye on that just behind the twelve that were set apart but it was the whole nation that went. They all had their eyes on. There is this sense of, of us all going together. Early, I think I made a joke of it a few weeks ago, but in Joshua 1 it says, anyone that doesn't do what you say, Joshua, we're going to put them to death. Um, gosh, imagine me preaching that. If you're not with us, line up against the wall. Gosh, that would be a bit gruesome, wouldn't it? But there is this sense of like what God wants to do is about all of us together. And like the imagination of God being amongst his people. And so unity is really important. It says in Psalm 133, where the Lord's people dwell together in unity, he commands his blessing on it. It's like oil dripping off of Aaron's beard. There's a thing of us being set apart. Like here, the nation's been set apart. Joshua's command, consecrate yourselves. Get yourselves right with God. Consecrate yourselves. Whatever consecration looks right. For some of you, you will know when I say put yourself right with God, you know that means I've got to sort that issue out in my heart. I've got to sort out what I'm doing when I'm on my own. And no one else is watching. It's important. It's really important. For some of you, it'll be like, I I need to lead. I'm too passive in my household. Me and my wife have been talking about that. Um, I'm not going to go there this morning. Because it's a whole other thing. But God has called men to lead. And far too many of us aren't leading. And so our wives lead for us. It works. Um, Not that women can't lead. But there is an order. And there's nothing like men and women leading together, equal value before God, but fathers being fathers. And sometimes we can be a little bit like Adam, and we just say, all right, love, you do that, because we're lazy, we're caught up in other stuff. The Lord wants us to be serious. Not in a heavy-handed way. Again, there's a whole other sermon I'm working on, I'm reading some stuff about it, and I really feel like it's going to come through in some of the men's stuff. But... 
the, the Lord wants us to really, for each of us, to be who he's ordained us to be. And a lot of the problems that we've got in the world is because people are ceasing to be who the Lord has, has ordained them to be. And if we're not doing it in the church, then we can't expect the world to be doing it either. That's the problem. We should be the light setting the way. And actually our homes are the, the starting place for that. As the home does it, as the individual does it, the home does it, as the home does it, the tribe does it, as the tribe does it, the nation does it, and we become a light to the nations. And that's what the Lord wants to do amongst us. And so there is a sense of us consecrating ourselves. Get serious about your relationship with God. He loves you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to give him the stuff that feel, feels so heavy, that's got such a weight to it, because he wants to liberate us so that we then can be a light liberating others in the world. Does that sound okay? Right, well, I'm going I'm to finish there, if that's all right. There's loads of other bits in there. I think the other thing was just about... The, yeah, one more point, and it's a very quick one. The timing of the Lord is, is not necessarily your timing. So you, like, we, I made the point earlier that the best time to cross the River Jordan wasn't when the Lord told them to cross the River Jordan. The water was literally bursting over the banks. It says it's the, at the highest point in harvest. And the Lord has called them there at that specific time because it's his timing, not our timing. I can imagine they would say, Lord, now isn't the right time to do it. For us, like we, we would say, now's not the best time to move into a new venue. For some of you, now's not the right time to maybe do some leadership training or to take on responsibility at work or to set a time, some side, set some time aside, sorry, so that you can spend more time with your family than you do working, whatever it looks like. You might say, I can't do it now, Lord, because there's too much going on. I think there's, there's some stuff that the Lord might be speaking into the hearts of individuals in the church that he's called you to stuff that you... I, I feel like the, the, the word was that you're looking to do it in your own time. So I can't do it now, Lord. I'm too busy. I can't do it now, Lord. I've got this going on. I can't... We're great at conjuring up excuses. As simple as, I'm just too busy. I'm not going to go to that meeting. I'm not going to meet up with that brother and pray with him. I'm not going to meet up with that sister and have a coffee with her. I'm just too busy, Lord. When really we can sometimes, we have the freedom in our diaries just to move a little bit around, not to watch that last thing on the telly so we can meet up with someone. Whatever it is, I really feel like there's something where the Lord's saying, there's a, there's a timing issue and it's his timing and he wants you to trust him. It's not all on you. You haven't got to conjure it up. When the Lord says go, go. When the Lord says speak, speak. Whether that's sharing the gospel with someone downstairs, whether that's speaking to a colleague at work, whether it's speaking over the fence to a neighbour, whether it's ringing up a loved one to offer forgiveness or to have that conversation you've put off for a decade, which we talked about, didn't we, going around in the wilderness again and again and again. If the Lord is putting his finger on it and saying, do it, don't start conjuring up excuses about, what, about why now isn't the best time and telling the Lord when the best time is. The whole thing about them following the, the ark and going was so that they, they would be following where the Lord was going, not saying, well, we're just going to go off here, bring the ark with us, we want the Lord to bless where we're going. The whole thing was about trying to discern and see where the Lord is at work. And I feel like for us as a church, and for us individually, the Lord is at work in different places, but we need to slow down and keep our eyes on what he's doing. We need to almost discern together, not individually, I think, actually, get relationships where you can allow others praying about things that you're going through. It's not all on you on your own. Um, I texted someone the other day, actually used the term 
the, I think it was Lucy, the, uh, used the term the council of the saints. Uh, the Lord has put us in, in relationship with one another so that if we have revelation or if there's a challenge that we're going through, that we, that we almost weigh it with others. A bit like you do with tongues. One speaks, someone else interprets. Like the Lord uses the council of the saints. We're part of a body so that we work together. We're not all lone rangers. We're not all mavericks. And so the great thing about there's a confidence and a kind of a security in that as we work that out together. Because actually, if God is resonating something in one heart, it should resonate with all of us. A bit like a tuning fork where you get it and ding, it should resonate amongst all of us as his people. So can I just pray? And we'll finish there. So King Jesus, we thank you so much that you're doing a new thing, you're calling us into new things, and it's all about where you're leading us and where you want us to go. You want us to flourish and to grow like the nation of Israel was to do, to go and take possession of the land. And so, Lord, I thank you for each one here, Lord. I thank you for the different places that you've put our feet, for the responsibilities you've given us in our households and in our workplaces, uh, in our neighbourhoods. Lord, it all looks really different for each one. Um, But each of us, you want us to be a shining light to the nations of who you are, of your grace, of where you're at work. And so, Lord, help us to slow down and to see what you're doing. Help us to work that out together. Lord, we believe that you're calling us into something as a people here in Sittingbourne and further afield as well. And, uh, Lord, we don't want to miss it. Uh, We don't want to go the wrong way. We recognise it's a new thing. And so, Lord, help us to to understand what that new thing is and that we'd carry that faithfully together. And as others come in, we'd help them to get that too. Uh, and so, Lord, we look to you for all that you want to do, for your glory. We, we pray, Lord, that many will be added to our number as a result of the gospel going out into the highways and byways, into new places. As we get confident in the gospel, we pray, Lord, would you work through us for your glory, we pray. Amen.